Hello and welcome to Sludge, an American healthcare story. I'm Caitlin Durante. It is the end of March 2020, and at the time of this recording and release, we are in the middle of the worldwide COVID-19, aka coronavirus, pandemic. So with healthcare on everyone's mind, it felt like a good time to start releasing episodes of Sludge again. First, I just want to say huge shout out to all of the medical professionals who are out there working tirelessly to treat people and provide care. As you've heard on the podcast, I have a complicated relationship with medical professionals, at least in the abstract, so to speak. But I do truly appreciate the work that you are all doing during these scary, uncertain times. We are all very grateful for the work that you're doing, and I wish you all the best and that you remain safe and healthy. This episode is not about coronavirus or COVID-19. The episode that you're about to hear uh, features a friend of mine. We actually recorded this many months ago in September 2019. Uh, When I was still full of sludge, I, of course, have had my gallbladder surgery since then, and I am happy to report that I am sludge-free and doing well. I've recovered nicely. I'm completely back to normal. But there are many other people's healthcare stories left to share, including the one you're about to hear. So without much further ado, please enjoy the episode. I want to introduce uh, my guest today. She is a comedian. She is a very good friend of mine. It's Kenise Mobley. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. This is so exciting. Okay, so Kenise, in a sentence or two, a log line, if you will, to use uh, an industry term, but not the medical industry. To get us started, I just want you to give us a brief overview about your situation, um, and then we'll do like a deep dive into your story. So in a couple sentences, tell me about your sludge. Uh, So I found out uh, four years ago that I have uterine fibroids. They're growing uh, at a pretty big rate. I'm in a fair amount of pain regularly. And I've been to so many doctors who keep saying, we don't know and we don't know what to do about it, even though it's a very common problem specifically with black women. So uterine fibroids. Yes. So uterine fibroids are tumors that grow in either like directly into the uterus or within the walls of the uterus itself. Are they benign? Yes. So they're benign to an extent. So for two people in my family, they've expanded to the point where they're ripping the walls of the uterus. Uh, And also it is concerning because it is an unchecked growth. And sometimes that will lead to unchecked growths in other parts of the body, which will have negative effects uh, or more negative effects. Right now, I'd say pain is a pretty negative effect. Yeah, I'll say so. (laughs) Okay, so... You've been diagnosed, but doctors keep being like, we don't know what to do with this. Is that's the case? Yes. So in addition, so I was diagnosed initially with having uterine fibroids. Uh, There are three of them. One is about the size of like an orange. One is about the size of like a small lime. And one is probably closer to, it's not marble, but like a little bit larger than a marble. I just don't know a fruit of that size, a grape. Sure. And Initially, it wasn't painful, but there were some issues with my period where I just had my period for a really long time, so they wanted to check in and see what was going on. They did an ultrasound, found out that I had the uterine fibroids. I was like, okay, is there anything I can do to manage this? And they were like, just live with it. And so if I had an issue, I would go to the doctor. In the last 
two years since I moved to New York, it's gotten significantly worse to the point where like around my period, it's almost hard for me to walk because there's this huge pain on my right side. And they've been like, well, maybe it's the fibroids because it is pushing against some things, but maybe it's something else. So they've sent me to a gastroenterologist, a dermatologist, because I also have some issues around there an allergist and a sports medicine doctor and all of them have been like we don't know why you're in pain we're not going to give you anything for that pain outside of like pretty much ibuprofen and it's just increasingly frustrating I've been to the hospital multiple times because like my leg just swelled up it's somehow connected and twice I've woken up vomited everywhere not been able to walk And so I have to like crawl downstairs into an Uber to a hospital. And they're like, we don't know what is wrong with you, but get out of here. You're not dying. Get out of here. But also pay us $2,000 each time this happens. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. So they've identified the problem. What is the usual treatment? Would it just be surgery to remove the fibroids? Yes. But they're like, well, we don't want to do surgery yet until we've ruled out everything else. But it's like, I think you've ruled out everything else. Can you just take these out of my body? And one concern is that it is, there's two ways that they can do it. They can either go in through your belly button, I guess, with like almost, they said robots, and I was like, that can't be real. You can't, the way that you're saying that sounds dumb. (laughs) But they like go in through your belly button using robots or lasers or something, and then they cut, and this is for smaller fibroids, they through your belly button, go to the use, cut it, take it out, boom, boom, boom. And it involves like grinding them up essentially and then like sucking it out. And the recovery time for that is like two weeks. But if they're too big to do that, then you've got to essentially have a C-section where instead of delivering a baby, you just deliver these tumors and you're out of commission for six weeks. So it is like, okay, when would you be able to be out of commission for six weeks? And it's like, I could make it work if I knew that I wasn't going to be in pain all the time. And it's concerning for me also uh, because my mom, she had a hysterectomy because, yeah, they were filled, riddled with tumors, you know. And she still was in pain all the time afterwards. So it's like, okay, maybe they'll do this. I don't want to get a full hysterectomy. I don't think I'm going to have kids, but I don't want to, like, throw away the whole house just yet, you know. Uh, So it's like, I would hate to take six weeks out of my life have a painful recovery, and then still have the same issues moving forward. So, Right, because like you're a busy person. Yeah. You're doing all kinds of stuff. If you do need to have surgery like that, but the, the it's the same thing with my sludge, which you've got uterine sludge, I've got gallbladder sludge, yeah. where you know if they catch the problem early enough, they just do a laparoscopic surgery. It's minimally invasive, and the recovery time's only one to two weeks. But if I need open surgery, which I guess would be required if my sludge was so bad, right. but it's like why let it get that bad? You you control some of this timeline, doctor. <laughs> you keep being like, well, we'll wait, we'll wait, and as you wait, it continues to get worse, and then suddenly, oh well, we have to do it this way. Why? <laughs> Why, indeed. I wish they could have done something when they found these fibroids in 2015. Like, just boop, boop, boop. Okay. It also would have saved you money because if you keep having to go back because you keep getting sick and you're paying all this money the whole time, like, that sounds so needless. Yes. Agreed. I don't know how they do it in other countries, but uh, this is not an effective system to just wait until it gets 
unbearable and then do the most invasive treatments that cost a lot of money and tie up time for doctors and everything else. I think the fact that we spend so much less time on preventative things or early stage things and so much time on later stage things and fixing damage that's already been done is a, is a big frustration of mine. Same. I hate it. So there have been a lot of studies to this effect, specifically about bias in medicine toward women and more specifically women of color. Have you found that as a woman of color, you've been discriminated against? There's been any biases from medical professionals not believing your pain or not? Maybe that's why they're treating you this way or not treating you. 100%. So in addition to some small things like I have an anxiety disorder, I need treatment for panic attacks. All of my male friends who have that are given Xanax and they have they're able to get refills for it without having to go see a doctor. I've never been prescribed Xanax or is it Valium? I, they never prescribed me that. They prescribed me like a much lower level thing. And I get a few pills at a time. And it's really inconvenient to have to go to the doctor all the time based on having something where it's like, you know what the situation is. You know what the treatment for that situation is. Why do I have to constantly be like, uh, yes, sir, I'm, I'm still freaking out because I have this disorder. It's the same disorder. Why do we have to keep having this conversation? So that's certainly part of it. But also, like, even when I went to the allergist, he's like, well, I mean, we could do, like, a full allergy test. But, like, you know what you're allergic to, right? Like, it was just very much so, like, this isn't worth spending the money to look into this. If you think it's this, we'll just give you – just take more – he literally said, just take more allergy medicine. He's like, yeah, you're, you're not going to get sick unless you take, like, more than four of these – 24-hour things a day. So, like, if you're experiencing really negative symptoms, instead of us looking into it, doing tests, finding out the environmental factors that are making it so that you're regularly experiencing allergy symptoms, uh, what we're going to do is just tell you to take more Allegra. So just take it until forever. Uh, That's so frustrating. Something kind of similar has happened to me where I have very bad insomnia, and I have all my life. I've gone to many doctors and been like, please do something like it's ruining my quality of life because I rarely can sleep. And the last several doctors I've been to have prescribed me allergy medication because it makes you drowsy. And I'm like, okay, you're sort of treating the symptom, but what the cause is is clearly anxiety. Like I've described why my insomnia happens and it's clearly based in anxiety that I have and no one has even thought to... Because the thing is, is that women are viewed as being hysterical, drug seeking, that whole thing. And that like women can't, we can't be trusted to know our own bodies and and know anything about ourselves because we're women with small brains. So like, it's baffling how often this happens. And uh, this is just episode one, everyone. Like you'll hear many more stories to this effect. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll come right back. So tell me more about the money you've spent. So have you been on insurance? Have you not been on insurance? Tell me about that whole situation. Uh, So this year it's been particularly bad. So this year I worked up until April and then I left my job because they moved and there was a lot of issues there. But when I left my job, I've done COBRA in the past and it's been like, $300, $400. And it sucks, but a month, yeah. And it's that sucks, but at least it's not necessarily the same as starting over with a deductible again. But with this time, I looked at Cobra and it was like, you'll have to pay $800 a month. And I was like, well, I can't, I, without a job, I literally cannot do that. 
give it like this is the thing where you give me an option based on knowing that I don't have a job and it's something that I wouldn't be able to afford unless I had a job. Great. So I went with the, it's like whatever's right above Medicaid. And they're like, okay, this health insurance plan would be $600 a month. But based on your income, we're going to charge you $162 a month. And I'm like, okay, that I can manage. But then I got really sick almost immediately after that. This is one of the instances where I wake up, I'm vomiting. I can't walk. I'm sweating. It's like really hard for me to breathe, that sort of thing. So I have to go to the hospital. Like that's because I've been to the hospital so regularly and they are always like, we don't know, get the fuck out. You're not dying. We did a test. It says you're not dying. So regardless of the symptoms you're experiencing, just get the fuck out. Like this isn't our problem. So I go to the hospital. I'm like explaining to them what's going on. Da 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 da. They leave me on a bed for a while. The symptoms go away or to some extent. And so after a while, they're just like, well, we gave you a drip. You know, we tested your pee and stuff, so you're done. Get out. Oh, that was so frustrating because I was there for like five hours. And it's like every time I'm there, it's like five hours, six hours. And they're like, yeah, we don't know what's wrong with you, but you're being charged for this time. At any rate, back to the cost. Because I had just started on the new insurance plan, they covered none of it. So I had to pay $2,300. And this is, again, when I don't have a job, when I most need that money. Uh, I have to pay $2,300 to NYU Langon. I was like, cool, great, okay. So I guess I'm not I'm not destitute. And there's, there's certainly people who are in way worse financial situations than I am. But that's not a time when I need to be giving away such a big chunk of my savings to pay off this medical thing and also to not have answers. I spent $2,300 then. I had to go to the hospital earlier this year. I spent $500 on the hospital, and that's with insurance, plus an additional $400 for an ultrasound. So it's like I've had to pay over and over and over again, and I would be more comfortable having paid all this money if I had an answer and had a clear path towards being better and not being in pain so regularly. But I've paid all this money, and I have nothing, and that is frustrating to me. Yes, absolutely previous episodes of Sludge, I've talked about how I'm very pro-universal healthcare. I think it should be far more accessible. And I've used the word free. Of course, it's not free because taxpayer dollars would be paying for it. But, you know, it's a difference of everyone contributing and paying their fair share of taxes versus people like you and me spending thousands of dollars on procedures when it's like, okay, I guess only rich people can be alive. Like, okay. So I I hate that. I hate that that's something you're dealing with and that you're giving, you know, large sums of your savings for this medical issue that should have been resolved by now, probably. Yes, I agree. It's frustrating. Like, there's so many elements to it. It's like, there isn't a list because in addition to these whoever's making up these fees and they're all astronomical, they vary from provider to provider. So it's like if you sent me a list <laughs> or like if there was some sort of list I could go to where it was like, OK, I think and I'm not a doctor. I think maybe this is what I might need. Done. <laughs> Which place charges the least for that? <laughs> like that would be something. But also I can't imagine what sort of <laughs> shitty place <laughs> I would end up in there because I've been to like hospitals in poorer parts of New York and it is interesting also to see the difference in like how people are treated like one just like there were flies everywhere and I was like that can't be good to have flies everywhere in a hospital (laughs) what (laughs) 
Yeah, well, like when I first moved to LA, I was on Medi-Cal, which is California's like state subsidized low cost or like free health insurance, which is available to people who are low income. And I was working like a few part-time 1099 jobs. I was hardly making any money and I definitely was not getting any benefits. So I was on Medi-Cal and my PCP was located in this facility that treated predominantly low-income people who were also on Medi-Cal. And the building was like just old and run down. The medical equipment seemed like just really outdated. The record-keeping system they were using was old and really inefficient. The system that they were using to like see patients was also weird and really inefficient. But the whole thing felt to me like, well, you're poor, so this is the care you deserve. Like, you get what you pay for. And it's like, shouldn't all people be entitled to the same quality of health care? And shouldn't that quality be very high? Like, the discrepancy in the quality of health care that people who are rich receive and people who are low income receive It's a huge discrepancy. (sighs) Okay, so just one question, and this is probably, you've already made this obvious, but one of the themes of sludge is that having a medical issue is difficult enough as it is. Like the, the pain, the sickness, the trauma dealing with that. It is only made exponentially worse for people like us when we have to do all these things of jumping through hoops, paying out the ass for care, not being given any resolution or treatment or like actual care, all that stuff. And it's it's weighing on us like emotionally and physically. It's been a nightmare. So I'm just curious, like overall, how has this medical situation that you're dealing with affected your overall quality of life? I mean, definitely negatively in that I have less money. I am in pain. But also it's a thing where it's the mental weight of knowing that when I am at my most vulnerable, I will still be held completely responsible for not making the best possible decisions with information that I don't have with outcomes that are unclear. So it's like, okay, I was in the hospital. I, I, I fell in the shower because I couldn't stand up and I was like I'm going to drown to death and so I crawl into my room put on a dress and call an uber as I crawl down the stairs I stumble into a hospital and then just fall over they do and this is 2017 they do an EKG I have to also be like wait let me keep track of all of the things that they're doing because the people in this hospital aren't keeping track and immediately after one person did an EKG they took me to a hospital bed and then a lady came up and started doing the things to take another EKG which I would have to pay for because insurance would automatically be like well this is a redundant thing and so we're not going to cover it so I have to barely be breathing and being like no don't do it they already did. And so I have to be advocating for myself at every turn of this. Yeah. And it, so it's at this point, unless I am literally dying, I'm very hesitant to go to the doctor because it's like I went to the dermatologist after my legs swelled up, after my body was completely covered in some weird rash that they still have no idea what that was. So that's a whole other story. So I go to the dermatologist. They're, they're like, well, to even get an appointment with a dermatologist that took my insurance, I was in the hospital. I call, they're like, call this dermatologist because they take your insurance. I call them. They're like, we didn't get a letter from the hospital. And the hospital was like, well, we don't 
don't do that unless you have a dermatologist. So it's like, wait, to get an appointment with a dermatologist, I already need an appointment with a dermatologist. Like, I need you to understand how crazy you sound right now. And then even so, they were like, well, maybe we can see you in six weeks. And it's like, my body is covered in an itchy rash, and my leg right now is like my ankle is twice the size that it is normally. So, like, what what are you going to do six weeks from now? So I fought to get in, like, five days in the future and by then it had cleared up so now still this has happened to me three times where my body is just covered in a rash and they're like well we don't know because we're not seeing it as it is and I was like that's your fucking fault <laughs> like I keep trying to see you when this happens if I could see the future and I knew it was going to happen I swear I promise I would do something I would make the appointment six months in advance so that when I came in I was at my itchiest and <laughs> bloatedest I would but I don't have that ability and the fact that you demand that people somehow be able to see their own futures to be able to make the right in air quotes right medical decisions is insensitive and insane okay absolutely like whenever I went to the ER with my gallbladder sludge by the time any nurse or doctor saw me my pain had subsided so then I'm like I feel like a crazy person being like no I swear I was like writhing around on the floor in the worst pain I've ever felt and they're like well you seem fine now so we simply don't believe you which is such a recurring thing for again women especially not being believed being seen as like catastrophizing everything because we're so emotional (laughs) and we just blow everything out of proportion so frustrating there's also like a an element in terms of like your quality of life being affected it's like your dignity just like you having to like crawl out of the shower and then the fact that you had to call an uber because you know that calling an ambulance will be a million dollars or however much it costs to like you know and your insurance will be like we don't want to cover that because it wasn't necessary so like the fact that you have to drag yourself into an uber on to then collapse in, in the entrance of a hospital is like you're, dig- you're stripped of all your dignity. Yeah. You're sitting there at your worst and people act like you are inconveniencing them, yes. asking them to do their jobs. And that is the maddest I've been in life is leaving a hospital because I have no answers. I know I just am, I just paid $2,000 to be told that I'm a piece of shit and that how dare I expect to be respected or acknowledged or even have someone say, that's not good <laughs> and you're right to be reacting negatively to it but no nothing like that not ever literally never and so when I get very, very mad, I start crying. And every time I've left a hospital, I've been crying in anger. I don't know where I can report these people for behaving this way. If I were a white man, gray hair, 40s, wearing a nice suit, I would never be treated this way. <laughs> like, And I know that without question, that I wouldn't have to constantly justify being in pain and apologize for my presence somewhere. Like, absolutely not. The patriarchy seems to have seeped so far into medicine and I don't know what it is about that industry that the biases are still so because I mean society is sort of like progressing and regressing at the same time in different areas but like as far as I can tell there's still so much like misogynist racist fatphobic homophobic transphobic bias in medicine like do you guys ever read a blog? Like, what are you doing? Like, what, really? You, like, are still harboring all of these biases? And it's killing people. It's literally killing people. I also am (laughs) angry. (laughs) 
did you have anything else you wanted to say or any final thoughts, anything like that? Sure. Uh, if you're a medical professional or a medical researcher, please do more work on why black women experience fibroids at like twice or three times the rate of other women, uh, because it literally is negatively affecting my family. And it's a thing that I mean, I've always been on the fence about having kids, but it really sucks to be like, well, maybe I should just accept that I never will because maybe I can't because this problem is going to rip my uterus open and then who knows what. Yeah. That's the other thing. I mean, there's all this research done in medicine, but the research itself is also extremely biased because it's like, how can we make men's dicks hard? You don't even need a prescription to get pills to make your dick harder and to make your hair as a man grow in thicker. And that makes me so mad <laughs> that there are ads on the subway like, hey, here's this thing that you could deal with, but you don't have to deal with it. These things are now optional, but it's like, no, 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 but you have to deal with growths in your body that are slowing you down and may overtake you, but you have to deal with that. Yeah, hopefully in the future we see a more progressive, more inclusive, less biased approach to medicine and research and treatment, fingers crossed, um, but for now everything sucks and the medical industry hates uh poor people and women and people of color and trans people and plus size people and the list goes on. Um, (laughs) (laughs) thanks again for being here. Where can people, um, find you and follow your stuff and all that good stuff. Uh, so you can find me at Kenise Mobley on all the platforms. That's K-E-N-I-C-E-M-O-B-L-E-Y. And so my website is KeniseMobley.com, Instagram, Twitter, both Kenise Mobley. Excellent. Um, Kenise is a very funny stand-up comic. Watch her stuff. Go to her shows. You live in New York. Uh, so if you're there, check her out. You can follow this podcast at Sludge Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. You can email the podcast at sludgestorypodcast at gmail.com if you have any stories that you would like to share. And with your permission, I might share them on the podcast. Also, good news, folks. So it was such a long time between when I recorded this episode with Kenise and when I finally got around to releasing it that Kenise actually had surgery to have her fibroids removed. She had the surgery almost two weeks ago uh, at the time of this recording. And I asked if she wanted to share a short recording, just checking in and explaining a little bit more about what led up to the surgery and the aftermath of the surgery. So she sent that to me and I would like to share that now. So here's Kenise. Okay, so update about the fibroid issue. So since we last spoke, I had a really frank conversation with my gynecologist about the pain that I was in. And based on that, she put in an order for an MRI, which revealed 10 fibroids in the lining of my uterus. So six of them were like grape sized, but four of them were like orange sized. So she recommended a laparoscopic surgery pretty quickly. Uh, I talked to a lot of women who had gone through a surgery for fibroids and there were some concerns about the laparoscopic surgery because one version of it is they go in uh, with the robotic assist and then they grind up the tumors and then they suck them out. It has a significantly shorter 
recovery period, but if there are any cancer cells within the fibroids, it does disperse those throughout the body and increases your rinse, your risk of cancer by quite a lot. So I wasn't sure about that. And one of the other options was uh, essentially a full C-section where they cut you open across the abdomen, they take the fibroids out, and then they sew you back up. And that has uh, a high effective rate. Uh, they can get all of them, but the recovery time for that is much longer. You have to heal as though you had a baby. Um, some people say they aren't 100% for eight weeks, and that's a lot of time. So I met with the surgeon to discuss my options, and when I sat down, I just started explaining why I wanted the surgery. But then she stopped me and said that I didn't need to explain not wanting to be in pain anymore, which was the first time I really felt listened to by any of my healthcare providers. So we discussed the options and we found one that was right for me, a laparoscopic surgery where a small incision is made to take the fibroids out of the body. And I worked with her scheduling team to get that done mid-March. When I arrived, I was told that it was the last day they were doing non-emergency surgeries based on the need for space in hospitals for corona. So I got it in just under the wire. Um, Everyone was really friendly and I appreciated that people treated me like a person who wanted to be healthy versus an annoyance they had to deal with quickly and then get rid of. So I went under, I woke up, they said the surgery went well. I'm still in the process of healing. That was a week and a half ago. And now I, I still am in a little bit of pain because I'm recovering. But when I wake up, I don't see a big lump in my abdomen, which is really uh, something I'm looking forward to seeing the full results of. So I count it as a win. I mean, it, it cost me an arm and a leg. I had to pay for the MRI. I had to pay for a big chunk of this surgery. Uh, but given that I was able to use insurance to cover most of it, it wasn't as big of a financial hit as I expected. So yeah, it's uh, almost happy ending. I guess we'll see. Thanks again, Kenise, for that check-in. Uh, thanks again for being on the show. So glad to hear that you're recovering. And finally, I just hope everyone out there is staying safe and healthy and practicing social distancing and washing your hands and doing all the things you absolutely should be doing during these weird, scary times. Be well, take care, and stay tuned for more Sludge, an American healthcare story.